wish I played with my kids more. I wish I had told my dad that I loved him. I wish I had been nicer to my co-workers. I wish I had saved more for a retirement. I wish I had gone in for that checkup when I had the chance. I wish I had bought that Corvette. I wish I had gone out for the track team. I wish I hadn't quit working out. I wish I had more fun in my life. I wish I had fished more. I wish I had learned another language. I wish I had stopped smoking. I wish I had taken guitar. I wish I was less stressed. I wish out. I had visited. I wish I wasn't overweight. I wish I had made better decisions. I wish. people I think are carrying uh, a heavy burden and perhaps have been carrying it for many years and it's a burden of regrets about things from the past and in reality we can't get rid of those by ourselves we carry regret shame guilt whatever it might be we can't just wish it away we can't undo the past and those things of the past have a way of kind of hanging around sometimes, you know. Sometimes, as I say, they haunt people even for years. What kind of regrets, if any, are perhaps haunting you? Today's theme is regrets, reality, restoration. What I want us to understand is that in spite of our regrets, in spite of the reality of our past failures, God offers us real hope, the real hope of restoration. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you each carrying our own private, individual version of regret. Help us, Lord, to learn how to let go of that, to leave it at the foot of the cross, and to go from this place free. For the sake of Jesus our Lord, amen. As we talk about regrets today, I want to talk about a story of uh, one particular character from the Bible whose story is a rather poignant one on regret. He's one of those that we usually think of as a hero of the faith, if you will. His name was Simon Peter. And I start this story on Peter's experience of regret in the upper room in Jerusalem where Jesus gathered with his disciples the night before he was crucified. They gathered in that upper room of that house to celebrate the annual Jewish festival of Passover. It was a celebrative night, but it was also a solemn night for Jesus knew what was coming that night and the next day. During the course of that evening, Jesus institutes his famous supper. We call it the Lord's Supper, a holy communion that we're going to celebrate here in a few moments. 
In the course of the conversation that evening, however, a a number of interesting discussions take place. And Simon Peter is one of those that speaks up rather brashly, as he is wont to do. He has kind of a reputation for being somewhat impetuous, sort of speaking before he thinks, and things just come out of his mouth rather surprisingly. And in the course of that evening, he says, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you or even die with you. And he goes on to say, even if all these other guys fall away from you, I will never fall away. And those kind of comments create a bit of a debate among the the disciples about who among them was the greatest. And Jesus has to break that up and teach them about servanthood and humility. But Peter put his foot in his mouth with his own words. And Jesus responds to him later, Peter, Simon Peter, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny even knowing me three times. And we know what happened later that night, don't we? Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. He is then arrested at the direction of Judas, his betrayer. He's taken among the, in front of the religious leaders of the day for a mock trial. And Peter is outside in the courtyard warming himself by the fire with some other people. And people start looking at him and recognize him and say, Hey, weren't you one of those that was with this Jesus of Nazareth? And he says, I don't even know the man. And a second time, another person says, Hey, you look familiar. Your, your voice is familiar. I think you were one of those with him. No, I don't know the man. And then a third time, somebody says to him, certainly this fellow was with him. He's a Galilean. And we pick up with the story in Luke 22 with verse 60 where it says, Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Wow. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Can you put yourself in Peter's sandals for a moment and imagine what that must have felt like? Can you envision the impact of that look after having denied Jesus three times to have him look? And then it must have been absolutely severe in terms of his own sense of regret. Can you feel the depth of his shame? It was so severe, we were told that he went outside and wept bitterly. He couldn't keep it in any longer. All he could do was cry about his pain. Let me ask you, do you see yourself in this story in any way? Or do you perhaps know someone else who is struggling with their own sense of regret over something they've done in their life and not seemingly able to find a way out of it? 
Today we're asking the question, how do we overcome all of this? How do we overcome regrets from the past? Before we go on, I just want to remind you again about this wonderful app that you can download to your smartphone if you have a smartphone. This app called Project Connect. It's provided free by Luthenauer Ministries and it has on it a whole host of brochures on different topics including the brochure related to today's message, Regrets, Reality, Restoration. You can read the brochure for yourself on your phone. You can listen to it read to you on your phone. But you can also send it to someone else, email it to someone else that you know is struggling with their own sense of inner shame and regret over the past. How do we overcome our regrets? First of all, we need to recognize all of this as spiritual warfare. Let's not water this down. When we're wrestling with our guilt and shame over the past, we are in a spiritual battle, a spiritual warfare. When they were in that upper room, Jesus and his disciples, he warned Simon Peter that he was going to face a spiritual battle. Listen to what Jesus says to him. He says, Simon, Simon... Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Satan. This was no inconsequential event in Peter's life. The devil wanted him. The devil wanted to completely destroy his faith. He wanted to use Peter's misaction to lead him to complete destruction. That's what Satan is out to do. He's out to destroy everything of God. Even though he knows that he himself is defeated by Jesus and that he will spend eternity in hell, he is trying everything he can, even today, to drag down as many people as he can with him into hell. He wants nothing less than to destroy your faith in Jesus and lead you completely away from God. And one of the ways he does that and tries to do that is by accusing you again and again of the things for which you've already been forgiven by Jesus. In fact, the name Satan means accuser. That's what he does. He tries to bring back to your memory the things of the past. He tries to remind you and say to you, don't you see that God really can't forgive that thing you did? How can you presume to think that you could possibly be forgiven for that terrible thing you did? He's constantly trying to accuse you of the things for which Jesus gave his life to forgive you. This is a spiritual battle, friends. When we are feeling shame and guilt, initially the shame and guilt that comes from doing wrong is a good thing in that God allows our conscience to make us aware of our wrongdoing so that we might be brought to the point of repentance and experience forgiveness. But what the devil wants to do is he wants to keep you in your shame and your regret. He wants you to wallow in your shame for the rest of your life and never find forgiveness and hope and peace. But what we need to understand is that Jesus defeated Satan by his death and resurrection. When Jesus died on that cross, he completely paid for sin so that there's no more punishment to be dealt out for sin. 
He defeated the devil. And by his resurrection from the dead, he defeated not only the devil, but hell itself. And what we need to understand that that victory in Christ is ours. You know, a few moments ago, we spoke together the words of the Apostles' Creed, didn't we? That statement goes all the way back to the early days of the church. And in that creed, here's one of the things that we said together. We said we believe that Jesus descended into hell. Now, what does that mean? Why did he descend into hell? Sometime before he physically came out of the grave, he went down into hell. Why? To suffer more? No. Jesus descended into hell to proclaim victory over Satan and all of his evil ways. The teaching of the descent into hell is based on a passage that Peter himself wrote. Yes, the mature Peter years later wrote this. He said in his first letter, Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body but made alive by the Spirit through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. The evil spirits in hell, the prison of hell. Why did he go there to preach? To try to save them? No, the word used for preach there is the word to proclaim, that is, to declare victory. He went to proclaim victory over the devil and all the powers of hell. To say, I beat you. You are defeated. And you see, because Jesus has won the victory, friends, He gives us the victory. When we are in the midst of spiritual warfare, when we are being attacked by the accusations of the evil one, we need to remember that Christ's victory at the cross and the empty tomb is our victory as well. St. John wrote these words in his first letter. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Who is it that's in you? Well, Jesus is in you by faith. And He has placed His Holy Spirit to dwell inside the temple of your hearts forever. And He, that is our living God, is more powerful than a fallen angel or any of His cohorts. I think it's significant that even before Peter did his threefold denial of Jesus, the Lord Jesus made a commitment himself to Peter. He made a commitment to Peter. Again, picking up in Luke chapter 22, in that upper room, Jesus said to him, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus knew what Peter was going to face in this temptation, in this denial. He knew he'd be under attack. And he's there to help him. He says, I'm praying for you, Peter, that your faith will not fail. That even if you make a mistake, your faith will not fail. And then he says, when you return, when you turn back, that is, when you repent of what you did, and you experience my forgiving grace, then go and strengthen your brothers as well, for they'll need it too. Jesus knew that it was spiritual warfare that Peter would undergo, and he prayed for him. And the Lord Jesus is there to help you and me too, friends, when we are battling our regrets. 
So how do we overcome our regrets? First of all, remember, recognize this is spiritual warfare. Secondly, believe that Jesus desires to restore you and not destroy you. That is his honest desire, to restore you back into a right relationship with him by his love and grace. His intent is not to cast you away. That certainly is what happened with Peter. Jesus restored him. It's interesting that after Jesus rose from the dead, our Lord made a point of going and visiting with Peter twice. The first time, he visited with Peter privately. We're not told what the content of that conversation was. We'd love to know what that was. But it was a private talk between Jesus and Peter. I can well imagine it was a conversation filled with grace and forgiveness. The risen Jesus standing with Peter, his denier, and saying, Peter, I died to forgive that. I forgive you and you're mine. Follow me. And then a second time, Jesus meets up with Peter. We heard it in our gospel lesson a moment ago from John 21. Jesus meets up with uh, uh, Peter and the other disciples on the shore of the Sea of Galilee after they had brought in a big catch of fish and he serves them breakfast on the shore of the sea there and after breakfast Jesus goes for a little walk with Peter has a conversation with him and he says to him I'm going to translate this based more on the original Greek language he says to him Simon son of John do you truly love me with unconditional love more than these other guys love me? Do you truly love me that much? Peter said, Lord, you know I love you as a friend. And he said, feed my lambs. Then he asked him a second time, Peter, do you truly love me with unconditional love? And Peter says, Lord, I love you as a friend. Tend my sheep. And then a third time, Jesus asked him, Okay, Peter, do you even love me as a friend? Peter says, Lord, he was hurt over this. He says, Lord, you know that I love you as a friend. Feed my sheep, Jesus says. What's he doing? He's restoring Peter three times, once for each time that Peter denied him. He's restoring him back into this relationship with himself and he's restoring him back into the ministry of serving people, the sheep of God. It's a wonderful story of Jesus making things right after a man messed things up so badly. He restored Peter and friends, I want you to get this, he desires to restore you too. I mean, just consider the lengths to which Jesus went to forgive you and me our sins and our regrets. Jesus himself said this, and John wrote it down in his gospel, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, shall not go to hell, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. When Jesus is hanging on that cross... 
he speaks some words and they are translated into the Greek language of the New Testament with the one word tetelestai, which means paid in full. It's often translated, it is finished. The word tetelestai was used when people would pay for something and they'd get a, a receipt of their payment that said paid in full, tetelestai. From the cross, Jesus is basically saying, the punishment for sin has been paid in full by my death on this cross. There is no more punishment to pay out. It's been paid in full. It is indeed finished. And that brings us to the last point of this message, friends, in terms of overcoming your regrets. Leave your regrets at the cross and be free. Leave them at the cross. St. Paul, who calls himself the worst of sinners, had this to say on this topic in his first letter to Timothy. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. God is in the restoring business. In fact, he has been for all of time. Go back to the Old Testament days. Back to the days of Isaiah, who lived 700 years before Jesus was born. Listen to what God says through the prophet Isaiah. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. By the death of Jesus, by the shedding of his blood, all of our regrets, guilt, shame, sins are washed away. And in the eyes of God, you and I, through faith in Jesus, stand white, clean, pure in his eyes. St. John says, whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. To kind of wrap up the story of Peter then, to bring things full circle, we see that he learned the lesson. He learned to unload his regrets. And many years later, as an old mature man, the restored Peter writes these words, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Peter wrote those words out of first-hand experience. They're words for you and me too. How do we overcome regrets? First of all, recognize this as spiritual warfare for which we need God's Spirit to help us. Secondly, believe that Jesus truly desires to restore you and not destroy you. And then leave those regrets at the foot of the cross of our Lord Jesus and be truly free. Come to the cross of our Savior and know with absolute certainty that God loves you, that He forgives you, and that He is truly delighted to call you His daughter, His son. You know, sometimes when we carry re regrets, what we carry really is a picture in our mind of what God looks like. We picture God as this horrible judge ready to crush us at our first mistake. Can I invite you to replace that picture 
with a picture of Jesus who extends His loving arms to you and embraces you in heaven and says, you are my beloved child. Picture Jesus that way the next time the devil comes accusing you of regrets. In closing, on April of 1962, the world-renowned theologian Karl Barth was speaking at the Rockefeller Chapel at the University of Chicago. As a part of his talk, he opened it up to questions and answers, and one student asked Dr. Bart the question, Dr. Bart, can you summarize your theology in one sentence? And his response was simply this, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Friends, I pray that you know that in all of your heart, that Jesus loves you and sets you free. Amen. And may the peace of God which passes human understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.